to eat the flesh of Christ is to find your favorite flavor of the flesh of Christ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mona. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. This week, I'm not only joined by my regular co-host, Mona, but we have a guest in the studio. Well, studio is probably a strong word for Skype, <laughs> but we'll just we'll just call it that. Uh, and this might get a little confusing, but our guest today is Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's been, it's been fun to be here so far. <laughs> I'm surrounded by Jeffs. Yeah, so we need like a, we, we talked a little bit off air about Jeff 1 and Jeff 2, but I don't know. I have, a, I have a moral problem with assigning numbers to people, don't you? No, not really, because I just think of it as Dr. Seuss, thing one and thing two. <laughs> Jeff one and Jeff two. You guys are going <laughs> to have to get into trouble now. Well, post-evangelical, I think, already starts us in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, Very so do you, do you consider yourself post-evangelical? Uh, so the, the, the thing that I came up with, the acronym is called PREP. It's a Progressively Reforming Evangelical Presbyterian. <laughs> nice. Presbyterians freaking love acronyms. It's more along the lines of it just pisses off everybody on all sides because I'm both progressive and evangelical, otherwise known as liberal and conservative, and reforming because I'm always changing, which means I'm always moving towards something that upsets someone. And I'm still Presbyterian, so I do all of those things to upset people decently and in order. Wow. <laughs> That's a that's a perfect fit for Ironicast. That's exactly what we tend to be about. Upsetting people decently and in order. That's about correct. So, uh, Jeff, you have an interesting church model that you are currently a part of or have been a part of. Uh, currently, we're we're working on it right now in terms of building the structures behind it. Okay, great. So, this is kind of along the lines of uh, episode that we had a couple weeks ago where we talked about uh, a different model that Zach um, from the, the Farm to Table Church that we talked to a couple weeks ago, we'll put the link to that episode in the show notes. But uh, I, me personally, I'm, I love exploring and discussing different ideas for church and how to revamp the the system that we currently have that uh, you might go as far as saying is broken. I would, but, you know, at the very least need some tender love and care. So, uh, so Jeff, tell us a little bit about kind of your, <laughs> your journey into being prep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wear a lot of popped collars. <laughs> um. So I was I was born in Philadelphia, and uh, my family has been, for the most part, uh, Presbyterian. I think all of my life, and uh, even before that. Um, so I grew up in uh, a very uh, structured mainline denomination. Um, when I was younger, we ended up going to what is a PCA church, which is a denomination of the Presbyterians that are very conservative. So. I grew up in that kind of structure, and uh, as we moved around the country and into Canada and then back into the States, I got to see essentially what was the same church, just in different places. When I graduated from high school, I, uh, I became a youth director at a local mission church from the Missouri uh, Synod Lutherans uh, with a great model that said, you know, we're a mission church. We've never done anything before, so no one can say we've never done it that way before. Or that's not how we do it. So it pretty much gave us free reign to try anything. And I think that's kind of where this idea really started to fulminate. 
the rest of it in, in terms of where I went from there is uh, I graduated from college in New Orleans, worked as a youth pastor in New Orleans for about eight years. And then uh, my church told me that I, I was being let go and handed me my application to seminary at the same time, and then handed me three applications of people who were going to be replacing me and said, you'll be training one of these for the next six months. Enjoy your time in school. Um, they weren't firing me as much as they were just saying, it's time for you to take the next step. So then I went to seminary in San Francisco, which is where I actually met Mona while she was living on the West Coast. Um, we didn't really like each other that first year. No, we were, we were grumpy. frenemies. Yeah, I was really grumpy that year. My wife and I were living on separate coasts. So I didn't get to see my wife and Mona was too bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> I was bubbly. I was happy. I was excited about life. Yeah, she was a first year. You're always bubbly when you're a first year. And then you realize as the world drags you down in seminary that life doesn't get any better and it's horrible. And oh my gosh, theology and things like that. Existential no. crises. Yeah, yes. all over the place. <laughs> Um, so I think I lost my train of thought at some point that I got into Mona being bubbly. Uh, <laughs> when I went to San Francisco, uh, we lived in Berkeley and I was, I, I played rugby since about the time I was 12 years old. Football was too violent. Rugby was just fine. And so I played rugby in Berkeley for a men's team who was essentially an entire team of atheists. Strangely enough, there were two of us on the team that were in seminary at the time and I was the only one that they actually talked to and made fun of as a pastor. And I think it's because I was smaller than the other guy. And uh, his name was Simi, and he and I were really good friends. We took Hebrew together and, and some other classes. And after he graduated, I was the only one left. And throughout the years of playing with them, it went from this kind of antagonistic joking style to um, I actually got to perform a couple weddings for a couple of the team uh, players. I did counseling for one of our coaches when his father died. So a team that was incredibly antagonistic, just somewhat jokingly and somewhat seriously toward religion at all, when I started, obviously that whole idea changed in our relationship over time. So that kind of got me thinking about keeping on the relational model of church and that it doesn't have to happen in a building. While I was in school, another guy named Cameron and I, uh, we like to drink and relax out on the back porch of the house that they that he lived in on campus. And we started brewing beer together. Um, we had both brewed beer before on our own in other places. And we started making it together. And, and I started coming up with recipes. And then we'd get together and we'd brew beer. And it started attracting more people from the seminary. And so people would actually come and sit with us and hang out and drink and, and help us with the brewing process. No one ever wanted to help clean up the brewing part or come for the bottling, but they were really there for the boiling and then the drinking. So <laughs> um, obviously there were some opportunists, but I can't blame them because I don't really like the cleaning part either. And uh, in our, our larger brewing model that I'll get to in, in a few minutes, uh, we won't be making bottles because I hate bottles. I think all of this time of hand washing bottles from home brewing has, has ruined my desire to do that. So you you want to or are in the process of starting a church based around brewing? Yes, um, sort of. So uh, the church itself, the ministry right now exists within a bar um, here in Boston uh, and hopefully a second one in Cambridge in the fall. And so uh, I get together and I go to this bar on Thursday nights and uh, I open up the conversation to whoever wants to come and join and we have 
conversation about life, God, community, and beer is our tagline. And really, it's about meeting people in a place that isn't church, realizing that the church has so much baggage when it comes down to the, the word itself and also the building and the ideas that people have in their mind right away when you say church or religion. The common phrase is, I'm spiritual but not religious. And I love that phrase because I think most of the people who say that phrase are actually the opposite. Most of them tend to have this more religious aspect to their life, and it's not as much spiritual. And I I find it really intriguing. Expand Um, on that. What do you mean? Like, what would that look like? What I found it looks like is um, we look for a spiritual aspect of our life, but uh, most of the time, the only thing we can relate it to is is something that we know already in in that realm. And something that we know already in that realm a lot of times happens to be a church model of some time of some kind, so a religious model. So there are the opportunities to be spiritual when it comes to communing with nature and and to being and and to a realization of self and a realization of self in in reflection of something bigger. But a lot of times when you meet people and you talk with them about being spiritual and not religious, it really is I like my spirituality. I don't like you telling me what it should be. And that's what they think religion is. And that's not what religion is. And so when you start to talk to them a little bit, you realize that there's a lot of things about religion that they are okay with. It's more along the lines of what you hear from, you know, pastors who are screaming at you about being the enemy at large conventions, that that's what people take away as being religion and, and Christianity. And that's, that's not what it is. And so the people that I, I try and talk with are, are people that are coming pretty much from that space. It's a completely open conversation. So I come with a topic or an idea of a topic or if something happens uh, in the week that I think is important to talk about, you know, whether it's uh, cultural or like in the news that day, Sometimes there's uh, theological questions that I'll come up with. I, I really, unfortunately, for the people who show up, like Tillich um, and Calvin. So I have a lot of questions on depravity and what we can do with our lives if we can't do anything good. Um, I try and keep them a lot more uh, upbeat than that. But every once in a while, it's just nice to be like, so what is it like to feel like crap all the time? <laughs> do you find that there is a... Uh, like? Do you find that you have a kind of a, a main demographic? Like, who are the people that seem to be attracted so far to this model and, and, and this thing that you're doing? Uh, so far, the people who've been attracted are actually some of the church people. Not that I don't want them there, which I can't stress enough that that's not the way I feel. It just is kind of funny that you go searching to work with people who are not in the church and church people find you. So, like, there have been some people who who I've met through other things that have that have come and things like that. Um, I have some friends in ministries uh, here in Boston with the different colleges that have reached out to some of their students and student friends, and we've set it up so that they know that this is a, a safe place and it's a bar. So, obviously, you're not going to get preached at because I'm pretty sure the bar owners and I would uh, would be very upset if that's what I started doing. And our agreement is based on the fact that I'm not preaching at somebody. Interesting. So, so the bars are aware that you're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that's kind of important. It's it's very um, 
discussion based. You're not giving a sermon. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's you're having a conversation. Discussion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of. It, it would almost be Socratic method, except there isn't an actual uh, ending point that I'm trying to get someone to. I'm actually participating in the discussion just as much as they are in terms of trying to figure out where this topic leads us. So are you still connected to the Presbyterian Church? Is this through them or is this, this a completely independent endeavor? So it's I'm still connected to the Presbyterian Church. This is actually uh, an endeavor of their national office called 1001 New Worshiping Communities. And so four years ago at their national assembly called General Assembly, they initiated this initiative <laughs> to, <laughs> to start 1001 New Worshiping Communities in the Presbyterian Church over the next 10 years. And it comes out of the Fresh Expressions movement in the Anglican Church in England. And then also um, the Disciples of Christ Church also had one. Um, I think theirs was only one thousand new communities. So obviously, well, you gotta you gotta beat them. You gotta have one more. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how we chose <laughs> one thousand and one. Honestly, <laughs> I, I really, really think that that's what someone said one day at the meeting. Well, we have to have one more. Um, oh my goodness! And but that's how it happens. So there's this the the initiative of one thousand and one new worshiping communities, and essentially it's it's geared towards setting up non traditional worship styles. There are a bunch of new worshiping communities that have started through the church. They're looking to become chartered churches. So they've started in a different way, but they're going to, they, they very much are seeking toward being a church like we know church. A friend of mine, uh, he started a, a, a 1001 new worshiping community in, uh, Louisville where our national office is. So it's like Presbyterian Mecca. Um, but he started a program called Sweaty Sheep. And so they're a running club. And oh. the, I think their tagline at one point was like a running club with a Jesus problem or something. <laughs> like it was great. Uh, I actually have one of their uh, singlets for running. And when my when when I run in our, our half marathons and, and 10Ks and stuff, I wear it because I like having a big sweaty sheep on the front of my shirt. And I find it quite entertaining. <laughs> um, but so my buddy started that. And it I mean, that's a completely not normal way of doing church. They get together early in the morning and they run and they exercise together and they exercise their body as a form of worship. They're, they're keeping themselves, you know, they're, they're holding true to the, uh, my body is a temple and, and a reflection of my, my devotion. I'd like to go back for a minute, if you wouldn't mind to, uh, you know, what you were talking about earlier about why people are drawn to alternate models of church. And I think it seems like there's something more than just rejecting the, basically the PR nightmare that a lot of Christianity has become to, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I think like you're saying, a lot of people associate Christianity with like Westboro Baptists and religion with closed mindedness or whatever. But I think there's something more that you're touching on is that people want to do life together and be able to talk about religion and be spiritual together in their daily activities and not go to some, maybe some artificial service that's not natural, that's not like any other part of their life. They want to bring religion into their normal lives, like drinking together, running together. Would you say that's, that's probably sounds about right? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's definitely a part of it. Um, I think I think you've touched on something that's that's definitely drawing a lot of people in in these directions. So for me, it's hard to separate uh, some of the pieces because I am a church person. I like structured church. I I've, I feel very strongly about corporate worship. I think that there's something that we miss when we worship on our own. We were created to be together. 
I mean, otherwise there would have only been need for one person in that, uh, you know, allegorical story at the beginning of the Bible. Why, why would we have needed someone else? The, the whole point that, that the Jewish writers had there is, is to point out that we're, we're, we're beings that have to be connected to something. And even a lot of the philosophers realized that as, as you went into Western philosophy and the understanding that, that you know, the, the idea of something bigger. And, and I think that corporate worship is something that's really important in figuring that out. I don't think um, that corporate worship needs to be something that's done in a church on a Sunday morning. Absolutely not. But I think that doing things together that are those forms, uh, a form of worship is important for us. The same way that people want to be part of a softball team. You want to do things together with other people. You there, There's a strong draw toward another person or another group of people. And I think it's it's in our DNA that we, we look for that. And whether or not we realize that to be spiritual or not, I, I think it is. And I think it's a beautiful thing. So it's difficult for me in, in that aspect because, I mean, I... I do value corporate worship. I, I value it in the 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 sense. I, I don't know, not archaic, but the common sense that we can think of that as Sunday morning at ten thirty in the morning with really long hymns and dirges and somebody speaking at you from a central pulpit for twenty five minutes, or in the Presbyterian case, like twelve. <laughs> and if the South um, Presbyterian churches on Sundays with football, it's like eight minutes. Um, but you know, I, I, I hold a lot of value in that, but I also understand and hold value in finding that in other places. So you're not trying to replace traditional worship? No, not at all. You're trying to supplement it, would you say? I'd say supplement or also provide another option. I think that we get bogged down in the idea that there's one way of doing things. And I think that Jesus did a lot of things that weren't the same, you know, he ate with people and then he taught on a hillside. Then he went and did miracles, but then he sat in a boat and talked. And then he spent time with someone one-on-one or he spent time with a group of people. Like he didn't just do one model of ministry. There were tons of different ways of doing ministry in the New Testament. And it doesn't matter how many times Peter and Paul are arguing, they're also all doing different models of ministry. And it just kind of comes about that we settle on one model and just stick with it until I guess it doesn't work. And then we freak out that it's not working. And oh my God, the church is going to die. And meanwhile, you're like, but you could just do this or something else. It's like limiting your flavor palette to a very limited like chicken and broccoli, like unnecessarily, right? When there's so many other possibilities. Yeah, like I'm going home to have a porterhouse steak, but that's just because I get a little hangry if I don't have red meat during the week. But yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Wait, so, so chicken and broccoli, a little bland for me. <laughs> well, no, it's fine. You know, but to have every single meal all the time and say that's the only way to eat food. Oh, yeah. No, totally. It's, it's, it's kind of it's, what I was I, trying to say. I get what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's. So what does it mean to you to do? I, I, it, it's funny. I've never actually thought about that, but you're totally right. We do have different models, a variety, a diversity that no, no one should outweigh the other. So what does it mean to, for you to do ministry? Like what, it, what, what draws you to do this kind of work meeting with people um, in a conversational way and, 
you know, what, when you're ministering to them, like, what are you doing? What are your goals? And where's your heart out with that? I feel completely lost when I'm not working in ministry. I, I don't even know what that's about, honestly. While in seminary, I didn't really do a lot of work in churches. I, I took that time to actually like try and worship in a church. And when you're working for a church, which you guys know, it's not worship. And so I, I, I tried to take time to do that. And what I found was I just wasn't going to church. I was spending a lot of time at the dog park with my dog and my wife and our friends and other dogs. And I really enjoyed it. We were outside. We were with other people. And so it kind of clicked. And again, all of those people knew that I was a pastor. Most of them weren't obviously weren't going to church because it was Sunday morning, but uh, many of them weren't church people at all. But I still ended up doing ministry somehow in that space, too. It just, I don't know, I, I feel there's something about it that just makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to. I have absolutely no intention of of turning something into something else or of convincing someone of something in doing ministry. I just like talking with people. My wife says that if I don't get um, human interaction, I, I get very depressed. Um, and I, I see that. I'm the pendulum swinging extreme definition of extrovert. So how do you, how do you envision what you're doing now turning into a corporate worship setting, or do you view the conversation base as the, that form of corporate worship? And then where do you see that moving forward as far as like bringing people in and expanding its, uh, I don't want to say reach. I don't, I don't want to like get into that church growth thing, but really like whatever you view growth as, where do you go from where you're at now? So I was actually at the, uh, at the treasurer's office today for our, our denominational office here in Boston discussing what growth looks like <laughs> um, because I have to talk about the fact that uh, numerical growth doesn't necessarily isn't can't can't be the only rubric that we base things on so yeah that is kind of funny but um, I find it I, I I think that our, our discussions and our getting together on a, on a regular basis um, does fall into corporate worship it fits in terms of being a place where we get together, we discuss things, we have an open understanding and communication and respect for one another about it. I think that that allows us to to worship just by being respectful of everybody's space and where they are and where they're coming from and what we're doing together. I want in the future for us to grow the community to one that is spending time with one another outside of just our Thursday night meeting. I'd love to do community events. Uh, one of the things that I do stress about the design of this ministry itself is the community part. I, I didn't talk about it earlier, and it's, it's kind of coupled in with the discussions and meeting with people and seeing where they're at and people being spiritual and not religious, or maybe they're religious and not spiritual. But um, since we're trying to reach out to college and grad students, this idea that in college, you go to college for four years, or maybe five, or for some of us, nine and a half. But for most people, it's four or five. Um, or grad school. You know, grad school, honestly, you can do that for nine years and nobody looks twice. But so you're, you're at a place for a specific amount of time. And so you have an end date. Well, what if you volunteered at something and you had an end date? You know when you're done. It's not this open-ended, let's go volunteer somewhere and let's just keep doing it until one of us gets so burnt out that we have to leave and we're going to be upset. 
But so you have this closed parenthetical time uh, space of time. And in that, you can try a whole bunch of different things and know that if it doesn't work out, all right, well, just it, it definitely will end at the end of your time in school. It could end before then. And so the, the idea is to get people to try doing things in their community. And you know what? If you like doing it, maybe continue it after you're done with school. If you move somewhere because of a job opportunity, maybe try doing it where you're at. And the idea being, it's not about proselytizing as much as it's let's go and do something and, and be a part of our communities and build our communities to be something that they're supposed to be and enact whatever this spiritual sense and part of us is in giving back. I have yet to meet a religion or spirituality or faith idea that doesn't have some part of it based on giving back to what is around us. Whether it's being a good steward of the earth and making sure that you recycle everything appropriately, uh, as, as simple-minded as that may be, or if it's you know, making sure that you are taking care of younger people or older people. Every faith journey that I've met, every faith idea has something about giving back. And so that part, I also feel like, is, is our model of, of corporate worship. The long run of this, uh, I'd love to get people interested in going to a church. S- somebody might come along and convince me otherwise, but I don't ever see us doing actual church in a bar. Um, I, I certainly don't see me presiding over communion, although I would love to do it with beer and like crackers. Would the presbys get behind that? I, like what are the, that's not very sacramental, right? To a lot of presbys. What? To do? Beer and crackers instead um, of communion. So there's a great theological discourse actually about how the first miracle that Jesus did, uh, if you translate it differently, comes out that he didn't make wine, he made beer at the wedding in Canada. Oh, snap! And it all comes down to uh, the way that uh, Aramaic versus Greek words for alcoholic beverage would have been interpreted. Interesting. Because um, wine wouldn't have been drunk as much in uh, Palestinian lifestyle back then. Uh, but wine was drunk more by Greeks. And therefore, if a Greek person reads alcoholic beverage in terms of the wording, for it, they automatically think of wine. And if uh, a Palestinian or, or Jewish um, person from that, from from the Levant, uh, would would see it, they might think fermented uh, wheat drink, which would be more uh, beer like. Um, plus, beer is ninety percent water. Not to lessen the miracle, but it makes it a little easier on him for the first time out. <laughs> Just like people, I'm so gonna get struck by lightning for that one. <laughs> Wait, okay, so speaking of alcohol, this is one of my questions for you. What do you, what do you say to people who would who would be wary of having alcohol so close to the heart of a religious community, um, and people would have like ethical calls with it, or you know, like you know, there's always a certain number of people who can't participate in a community because they have issues with alcohol. Mona and I both are coming out of a context where our Pentecostal denomination that we grew up in was very. A dry denomination, I guess, is the best way to put it. Very dry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, hoping that she never hears this podcast, my mother-in-law actually after, I think I think my wife and I had been married for two, two or three years at that point, we had really started, this is when 
around the time that this idea was kind of starting in my head. Um, she, she stopped me one day when we were at their place and they're from Wisconsin and her father was a Baptist missionary. Um, and so she grew up in that lifestyle and, and, and we were in the kitchen and she said, you know, Jeff, um, I've been praying a lot about it and, and God really put it on my heart. And I really wasn't sure about this whole, you know, beer and church. But, but God, God told me that different people find church in different places and it was okay. Wow. And I, and as my cynical, sarcastic self bit my tongue not to be like, of course, thanks for your God letting me do what my God told me was still okay. <laughs> that story I tell to tons of people because it truly does exemplify the starting point for, for this question that Mona just asked. And the, the thing is, is that you're right. Some people have difficulty with, with alcohol and, and can't see that being a part of a worship service. Now, whether or not that person is an alcoholic and therefore they don't feel safe being in a bar for worship, it's not callous um, and it's not meant this way at all, in, in a callous way at all. But there are thousands of models of church. And so this model will work for some people, but a model of church is not meant to be for every single person. If that was the case, then the way the Catholics did it in the hundreds would have been fine and worked for everybody and the 1600s wouldn't have come around and 1500s and, and the Reformation and you'd be like, yeah, sure, that didn't happen. We totally had it right the first time. And so I understand that there are people who will not feel comfortable for for the difficulty of being in a bar and being at worship. And and to that I say there are other other places that you can worship. And this isn't about keeping you from worshiping here. It's about knowing that this is a way that we can connect with someone else as well. And if that person needs help finding another place that they feel comfortable, I'm happy to do that as much as I can. Um, that's, that's fantastic. And I would love for someone, I would love for someone to come and tell me that that's how they feel and, and to give me the opportunity to do that with them. As far as the ethical stuff about beer and church, I, uh, I refer you to the Spencer Trappist monks or the Irish monks or the Belgian monks, people who got drunk and lost the Bible and then found it again, or have kept the church alive by brewing beer and supporting a ministry for thousands of years. Um, here in Massachusetts, the Spencer Trappist, who I, I mentioned a second ago, there's actually a full-fledged abbey and and Belgian Trappist Ale Brewery in Spencer, Massachusetts, which is just west of northwest of Worcester. They're amazing. They make Trappist style Belgian Abbey beer and it helps support the diocese. And this is a monastery that has um, retreat grounds and everything else, and it was going under. And this was the idea that they had. They were like, well, why don't we just try and make beer? and sell the beer and help keep the monastery open and the retreat grounds open. And somebody said, oh, okay, let's try that. And they did. And they got some uh, Belgian monks to come over and teach them how to brew Trappist ale. 
And then they got guys from the Harpoon Brewery here in Boston to come and help them set up the actual system and do that. And so you put those two things together and you now have a diocese that is doing ministry because of beer sales all over the country. So do you see yourself moving in that model? When we talked to um, Zach about his farm church a couple of weeks ago, they talked about their goal being to have a sustainable business bakery to fund the church so that the money that people give into the congregation can actually go back out 100% to the community itself. Is that kind of where you might be headed or is it going to kind of pretty much, is it going to be more of like a supplemental thing for other maybe traditional church congregations as like an avenue for connection in a different way? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The fact of the matter is, is that working in a bar and not actually working for the bar, just drinking the beer at the bar and talking with people, uh, it's really hard to get somebody to give you a salary to do that. (laughs) I could see that. As much as I would love to have that possible even in the grant that I have, um, I couldn't put it down as beer money. I had to put it down as a stipend in the budget. So, I mean, that they were okay with, but not a lot of other stuff. And and the grant that I got didn't really cover anything other than basic expenses. So there are other ones that I can apply for. But when it comes down to it, you just, I, I don't see myself convincing any one church to say, sure, we're going to pay you to go and drink and talk with people. Because that's just really hard to get across. Um, and I think even if I was the person sitting on the other end with the checkbook in my hand, I'd, I'd question. So I don't blame them at all. So yeah, so the brewery, like I said, I don't know, like six hours ago when we started this conversation about brewing beer at seminary, I started making recipes and we found out that they were actually kind of good. And so yeah, that's, that's actually kind of what happens. We found out that we made good beer. And uh, we we experimented with a bunch of different things. We uh, we had some people with uh, celiacs, and so I tried a gluten free beer, and uh, just you know to toot my own horn, was told that it was better than the best gluten free beer on the market. And I don't feel the need to jack the price up just because it's gluten free, considering it was actually cheaper to make than regular beer. Um, uh, gluten free beer, uh, the base rather than a uh, malt, a wheat malt, is uh, is is sorghum and rice. And a little bit of honey just for some sweetness most of the time. But yeah, it, uh, that beer is actually called, and I have to do this, it's called Sola 5, as in the five solas of the Reformation. Um, and the reason is there are five ingredients in this gluten-free beer. And so I just had fun with it. And the, the Sola 5 are five solas of the Reformation, and it's Sola Fide. Sola Scriptura, Sola Christus, Sola Gratia, and Sola Deo Gloria. And so it's uh, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, and glory to God alone. And it's, uh, you know, another one of those really cheesy theological jokes that I'll throw in here and there in our beer stuff. Um, but yeah, so we, we ended up finding out that we made good beer. Uh, I interned with an actual craft brewery in Oakland for a while while I was in seminary and got to know the guys there really well. And he, the owner, uh, Adam at Linden Street Brewery, um, if you're ever in Oakland, go try their beer. It's amazing. Adam is a great guy. I'm sorry, I have to do that plug. He gave he gave me a, an amazing gift in letting me work with him and learning how to do this on a larger scale process. 
um, which certainly you don't learn with a five gallon pail and a propane uh, burner. But so, so I started doing that and we tried a couple of batches on the large scale and the recipes still, still held. And so what I'm setting up is a nonprofit brewery. And the reason it's nonprofit is because I want it to be completely community, community supporting. And so the way it will be set up is that each beer, each, each flavor, you could say each recipe will have a specific area of support that it goes to. So for instance, this one is our, our most obvious non-church one. We have a beer called Siberian Red. It's the flagship beer because it's probably one of the two favorites um, for most people who try our beers. We have like four recipes that we started to hone down to be staples that will be the ones that we kick off with. And this is the first one. Um, It's called Siberian Red because I have an adorable, wonderful, non-cuddly Siberian Husky who's red. Um, His name is Chili. So it's, it's, it's named after him and it's our our homage, as artistic people would say, to an Irish red red ale with uh, with West Coast influencing. So we used uh, American hops rather than uh, European. We used some American malt and some British malt, and then the hops, the American hops that we used were from the West Coast. And so uh, we tried to balance out color, flavor, and and a little bit of kick from West Coast America. Just you know just to make it our own. And so it, it, people really liked it. And the, the area that that beer will support is for different animal rescue organizations, but also for uh, therapy dogs and therapy animals, actually, because they have therapy llamas. It's, it's, everybody has to know this because, I mean, it's just, this is like my PSA. All right. So the more you know, guys, there are a couple thousand registered therapy animals in the United States. Of those, about five are llamas. There are registered therapy llamas. There are guinea pigs, there are rabbits, there are dogs, there are cats. I think there are hedgehogs. Most of them, most of them that are registered are dogs, you know, like the golden retrievers, the labs that help with um, assist blind people. So um, there's a thing where you will bring in animals to to universities during uh, exams, and you will let students pet the animal. And it's actually a medical journal uh, article has, has studied this. They've done a bunch of studies about how actually petting an animal lowers your blood pressure instantly. So if you're ever like worried you're going to have a heart attack, go find a dog to pet. So that beer will go to support all those forms. There's actually a chaplaincy program in Stanford that uses dogs in hospitals. And so there's, there's that. There's uh, libraries all over the country that have reading time um, for kids with animals. So that's what Siberian Red will support. And then each other beer will have another thing that it supports, whether it's a, an actual church mission or if it's another community organization, like uh, we want one of them to support the police officer. And this has nothing to do with recent events. It's... um to support like police officer and fire and fireman benevolency uh, operations. So like during Thanksgiving and Christmas time, when you do the toy drives and the food drives and stuff, we actually have a different way of preparing one of our beers in order to make it special for that instance. And so all of that money will go toward 
making sure that, you know, the Toys for Tots program and, and other things get funded as well and that we invest as much money back into the community as we can. So yes, uh, essentially I do want a sustainable model that helps me get a salary because as much as my wife says she doesn't mind budgeting only on her salary and as much as she does an amazing job with our budget, I'm pretty sure she'd really like to pay off the mortgage and the car payment and we have a kid coming and I'm pretty sure she wants to pay for that kid's college, which is another argument for another day because I didn't have my college paid for. So why should they? <laughs> All of that being said, I think she wants me to have a job that actually pays. And I really like making beer. And I really like the idea that you can sell beer to help other things. If you're going to drink, drink for a cause, right? That's right. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's the end goal. All of that being said, keeping the ministry and the brewery together is being honest. I don't, I don't actually have a good idea of what that's going to look like in the future. Part of my honesty in saying that is, is not that I haven't tried to figure out what it's going to look like, but I don't know. I mean, I didn't even know what this was going to look like three years ago when we started. So I'm just happy to go along for the ride. And if things work, awesome. And if they don't, oh. I guess we'll try something else. Sounds good. It's worth the effort for sure. It sounds like a great way to approach the whole church thing. Um, it, for anyone listening, is there any way they can find your beer? Or are you still kind of in the beginning phases of that? Um, we're in the beginning phases of licensing here in Massachusetts. Uh, if they want to find my beer, they can email me and they can come and get some. But no, <laughs> that's actually probably bad. I don't I don't think I make enough beer for that. To, to get beer for all of your listeners. Hopefully in the next week, we'll be signing a lease on a place here in Boston area. And then hopefully having all of our equipment in place by the end of September. And that will mean that we can have the guys come in to do the inspection for our license in October. I'd really love to have my first beer uh, be made in our small batch brewery by, by Christmas. Very cool. All right. Well, let us know what you think about all this. If you have anything to add to this particular conversation, um, you can go to irenacast.com slash 75, and there we'll have links to some of the stuff we talked about, and you can also comment on the conversation itself. And anytime you want to give feedback to the show in general, you can always find all the ways to do that at irenacast.com slash feedback. On the other side of the music, Jeff is going to be joining us for a round of Jesus Juke. All right, so we're going to be doing Jesus Juke, and it's been a while since we've done this particular game. So how this is going to work is that each of us have come up with an item, a noun, a person, place, or thing, and the other two will have to Jesus Juke it. So basically turn it into a sermon illustration or turn it into a spiritual lesson. And uh, yeah, so this is that's, that's how it works. Um, so for instance, you could say book, and then the obvious would be, well, you know, the book is like... When you open it up, you're filled with knowledge, just like, when, I don't know. <laughs> That's not it's a good like example. Jesus um, fills us with knowledge. There you go. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. We don't need to talk about. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so, so we've each come up with an item and then that person will get to choose which of the other co-hosts did the better job and uh, we will see who who wins. Although typically anytime we try to do a competition, it just degrades into chaos and we never keep track. But we're going to try. We're going to try. 
Yeah. Can I? I have a good one. Can I go? Can I say yes, my please. thing first, and then you guys can Jesus juke it? Okay. We'll have we'll have Jeff one, and then Jeff two go because Jeff one you know has done this before. And Am you'll, I Jeff you'll one? Get, I think so. Is he yeah. Jeff one? Yeah, yeah. You're Jeff one. Jeff okay, one, I'm okay. Jeff one. <laughs> okay. The item is a whisk, like in the kitchen. A whisk. Okay. All right. All right. Are you ready? I think so. So. In my spare time, I like to do a lot of cooking. And one of my favorite tools in the kitchen is the whisk because it flawlessly and gloriously incorporates different ingredients that need to come together. And without these ingredients come together, then your finished product is lumpy and isn't as smooth as it could be. And I think Jesus is the same way in our lives is that if we follow the teachings of Jesus, if we follow love and community, and grace, then it is like a whisk that brings people together that ordinarily would not go together. Jesus creates our communal emulsion (laughs) and allows oil and water to mix. You're going with Jesus takes the lumps out, Jeff? Hey, he used emulsion as part of the sermon Uh, illustration. Exactly. I think, I don't even have to go. I think that one wins. No, no, no. I... Okay. That's a, you use a whisk to make a salad dressing. We commit like to combine oil and water, things that don't normally go together, and the whisk brings it together. That's true. That's an excellent point. Okay, dang it! I thought I was giving you a hard one. Okay, you, anything with cooking, you're, I'm just gonna jump in there. That's true. I forgot it's you're a love. master cook. Okay, <laughs> dang it. Jeff One's answer was fantastic. In fact, that's actually where I'd be going with it. You see, whisks. Um, I find to be amazing in how they show us that uh, a form, a structure, a, a, a bent object that actually has something that holds it together and keeps it in place, yet at the same time flexes in order to do its job. It gives you the opportunity to see that in life, as we hold ourselves together and we are rooted in who we are, just like a whisk is always held together and rooted in what it is, we still sometimes have to find a way to flex ourselves in the situation so that we can reach as far as we can and do our jobs as best as we can. The same way that as you use a whisk, it might be structurally sound, but it flexes to get the job done. Oh, that's good. Dang, that was so good. That was good. You guys are both so good at this. Dang it. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Jeff, too, on this one, because that was just, man, I, w- I was, it was feeling the depth there. But I didn't get emulsion into it. I, I feel like that that wins, but thank you. <laughs> I'm the judge, so I'm going to give it to you. All right. No argument here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. But if I beat Jeff on both of these, does that mean that I don't get invited back? True, yeah. You're banned from the show for life. Pretty much. Yeah. Like, we're, uh, we're fun games here, but really... I'm I'm pretty upset that I didn't I didn't win that. We're also going to act- actively sabotage your future endeavors. Yeah. We're going to make an emotion so good. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. We're going to pour it all over your life. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so, Jeff, too, would you like to would you like to go? Uh, sure. Barbecue as in the food and not the uh instrument, the grill. The food uh-huh. barbecue. barbecue. Yes. You've got red meat on the brain tonight. I told you I have a steak waiting for me at home that I get to cook. 
barbecue. And I got it from a butcher shop today, so I'm like ecstatic. Okay. All right. I have an issue, Jeff. It's it's an addiction, but there's no anonymous <laughs> group for red meat eaters. I feel you on that one. I just got a sous vide machine, so I've been Ooh. like making the perfect steaks. Oh, I'm so jealous. And it, I I agree with you. I can't. I'm at Costco all the time buying bulk of red meat. And yeah. Alan would have a fit if you were here. He's he's been he honest about the environmental impact of red meat. So yeah, he's an, well, he's an occasional vegan, is what he calls himself. <laughs> Mona lived with us when I lost a bet to my wife, and I had to be vegan for a week. Oh, you were so mad. So oh. mad. I was so angry all the time. That was a long week for time. all of us. You'd think that eating meat makes you angry? No. Eating not not eating meat made me so angry That's that called addiction, week. I think. It was, it was so awful. Did you get the shakes after like a day? It was it almost catatonic. Shakes, it was just like, oh. <laughs> like I, and I tried, I did the dumb thing though. I tried to buy like all the things that are faux meat. For vegan, oh, like yeah. turkey like, and whatnot, and like you know the non-meat bacon and and things like that, or the chorizo, the vegan chorizo. Oh no, that oh, stuff no. will burn and, a hole through your so stomach. That, I think that was really my problem. Is I kept trying to like incorporate what looked like meat, but definitely wasn't. You have in, to embrace the vegetable if you're yeah, going to go that I, direction. I, I'm I'm learning to do that better now, but I still have to have a big hunk of dead animal. So okay, anyway, so the meat barbecue. barbecue. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take a swing first because Jeff, you know, you you both have a lot of preaching experience, and I don't have any. So we're gonna talk about barbecue, and we're gonna talk about the time that I went to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I went to the Beast Feast at the Chattanooga Farmers Market. I didn't know what barbecue was before that moment of the Beast Feast in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, we also got. Uh, smoked turkey legs. Holy Moses to heaven. That's not even a phrase, but that's the only thing that I can think of to say right now. It was amazing. And it was a, it was a competition between many different barbecue places in that area. And you had to vote for your favorite, you know, and, and the competition could have gotten really awful, but it was, it was quite friendly. And uh, we ended up voting for, for one that we really liked, we got to sample them all. But you know, a, lo- a lot of people think that there's only one way to do to do Jesus, and and maybe to eat the flesh of Christ is to find your favorite flavor of the flesh of Christ and consume that flesh like the beast feast <laughs> that is life in christ okay so we are allowed to laugh during this yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm like biting my tongue back here going oh Oh. man (laughs) all right i'm giving you points i got real awkward flesh of christ several times like several times (laughs) isn't flesh like the grossest word like flush no moist is yeah i know everyone hates that one it's like it's like a boring one to hate now Moist flesh. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, anyway. Okay, Jeff, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So barbecue is an art because you have to take into account the piece of meat in which you are cooking. It's diverse. They're different. And there's all kinds of different ways to approach it. Some needs to be tenderized through low and slow cooking. Others, just a quick sear on the grill to get a nice crust on the outside and then ready to serve almost immediately. And that's how people are. 
is that sometimes we try to make a formula for how we create a space for people to approach Jesus. But some people need a low and slow approach. Others, they'll get it immediately and can jump right in. Let us take our lesson on how to do church from the barbecue masters and know our meat before we preach to it. (laughs) 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 How how, how do I decide on this one? Flesh of Christ and preaching to meat? Before you (laughs) preach to it. Oh, man. Um, (laughs) You gave us a tough one. if, If everybody wins, is that okay? Sure. Yeah, we could call it a tie. I want to get invited back. No, you'll get invited back. You'll get invited. We're not that competitive. You no, know, I, I mean, honestly, even if I didn't want to get invited back, that that you guys, I, I feel like you guys did a really good job on on what I thought was just going to be difficult. So it thanks. was difficult. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for throwing it, throwing, <laughs> hitting the fastball out of the park, throwing some, a wrench some, in it. Yeah, some okay sports ball analogy. Sports ball and <laughs> games. I'm sure, Yogi Berra said something about this. All right, so we're right. calling that a draw. I think so. All right, so the next one's for all the money. No, not really, because I got like half a point. And you Jeff got a half a point. A I got point. a half a point, and Jeff, too, has a full point. You set this up so that you'll win no matter what. <laughs> well, right. we have one more, so I could I, I decide. I can be vindictive and say, because Jeff, too, beat me, I'm just going to give Mona the point anyway. Oh. But I'm not going to do yeah. that, okay. because... I'm going to take the high Jeff's road. Jeff's our guest. Yeah. You might give her the point anyway because she might do this better. We'll, so. we'll find out. We'll find out. True. Yes. Okay. So my item is a tripod. Really? A tripod? I mean, we could just go the easy way with three legs to stand on. You see, a tripod is a great illustration for how we build something that holds up. You have three legs of a tripod. And you have community, you have prayer, and you have practice. And if you put those three things together, then you will always have a solid foundation. And so as we look toward doing this life together, we look toward being a community, one leg. We look toward praying together as a community, the second leg. We look toward practicing together as a community, the third leg. And once we do those three things, once we are those three things, we will continue to do the work of Christ in this world together on solid foundation. Dang it. That was so good. Nice. I thought you were going to go full Trinity on it. I thought I, so I, that's too. what I thought too. I mean, I really looked at it and I went, you know what? Let's do Trinity. And then I went, wait, no, I know this one. This is actually an example that we've used before in youth ministry about like trying to explain why a three-legged table is a good table. Oh, you've already oh, gone wow. the, done this one. Okay. Yeah, but it was a table and not a tripod, but you know, whatever. Three, yeah, yeah, three legs. Yeah. I guess that's kind of cheating though, huh? No, it's fine. You're, you, no. you're drawing from all of your This is all about experience, drawing Absolutely. from it. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I'm going to take a little bit different direction. Sometimes um, in life, you might feel like a tripod, meaning like you're kind of, you're not the exciting, sexy part of the gear. You know, the camera, it's like, ooh, the camera, show off your camera. What can your camera do? You know, but some of us are just tripods out there. We're just kind of like chucked in the bag and uh, we're the supporting role. You know, we're not the main event or we don't seem like the main event, but we don't realize that that support is so utterly necessary for the camera to be in focus. And it's much like 
the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the supportive role to our camera that needs to come into focus. And we don't quite make sense without that support of the divine. We're always a little bit fuzzy and a little bit off without that stability that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. So that's what we really should be looking to that when we feel discouraged because man, I'm just a tripod. You know what? God is a tripod. Okay. I'm, I'm not coming back (laughs) on if you don't give her the point. That oh man, I don't even know what to tell you. <laughs> God, <laughs> Mike Drop is a tripod. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Actually, Jeff, looking at your face, like, like get like more and more aghast. Like, is she really doing this? Like, gave me fuel for like you just gave me like, <laughs> a burst of adrenaline. Like, it wasn't. Is she really doing this? I, it was more of a. Sorry, this is Jeff too, who was looking at Mona. It was, yes. uh, it was, um, it was, it was more of a oh my god, like she's really going there, and how did she even think of that? Like it was more just like absolute amazement at at where you took it. I don't, I, I didn't know what my last line was going to be, and then I looked at you, and you're like, oh yeah, bring it home, and I was like, I don't know where I'm going. God. <laughs> <laughs> One of the three answers in church that's always right, God, Moses, and Jesus. Like that like that Sunday school joke, hey kids, what's green and sits on a lily pad? Jesus! Because that's the answer to all the questions that they ask in Sunday school, so the kids are primed to answer. Well, I, I, will, I will give it to you, Mona, mainly yeah. because I picked tripod because I thought if anyone goes the Trinity route, I'm immediately disqualifying them. Just really? try to throw oh. like a, a softball because I was going for creativity points. So that oh. was that was way outside the ballpark of what I thought anyone would go with. So we're, we're all playing the sports games tonight. So did I win a Jesus juke? Because I hate this game. <laughs> you did win you a did. Jesus juke. Oh my god, this is a whole new era for me. <laughs> you should, it's it's God's sign. You should get into the ministry, right? <laughs> oh my! Uh, <laughs> this is a sign I have to start preaching. No, I don't want to do it. This is my Nineveh. No, just just make five good talks and go on the road with it. I, you know, I, I would like, I've thought about being a motivational speaker. I, I could do that. I would do don't that. Don't debase you yourself money to a motivational talk? speaker. I could like get in get in people's lives, you know, and, and bring out the best in them. Give me money. I'll write a book. You can do it. Every page. You got it. We this. did create a cult a couple weeks ago. We did. Yeah. Really? So, so I'm, I'm, I'm about, I think, 10 episodes behind at this point. So I apologize. <laughs> you must be sorry. Hey, you know, next time you come on, though, we should we should work on the cult with you. Because we started the foundation of it. It needs some development, though. We do. Je- Jeff is the money guy, and I'm the figurehead. This is why it reminded him of that. Yes. So. Gotcha. You can you can brew our beer for us. Hey, I'm I'm okay with that. People apparently that's the only reason why people keep me around anymore. Yes, <laughs> we we will for our gatherings need a sacramental drink, and yes. we can make it beer. We can make it your exclusive beer. Like so it's the only like revealed, divinely blessed beer that we recognize as a cult. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really enjoyed having you on, and thanks for indulging us in a game of uh, Jesus Juke. Yeah. No Which problem. I won. I'm gonna I'm gonna be gloating about this for a while. I'm just letting you both know that. All right. Okay. You do that. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy what you hear and you want to support Irenacast, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for the many ways to show love to the show. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Jeff number two. Thanks for joining the conversation. Bye.